Hey, I uh, want to say welcome, especially if you're new, welcome. My name's Jim, and I'm one of the pastors here. I can just tell you, I can see the little glint in your eyes. You're watching that video thinking that would be really cool to go on. So I hope some of you go out there and talk to the Cuba team after this. Even if you don't think you can go on this trip, why don't you start the conversation now because there'll be future trips. But uh, that's, a, that's a pretty special experience that, uh, that a lot of us could be a part of. So I hope that you'll take advantage of that. Um, we want to say welcome to those of you who are new. We, want to say all, we always just say thanks for uh, those of you who invite other people. That's just an honor to us that you trust us enough to invite a friend or coworker or somebody here. Uh, so we want to call you out. Thank you uh, for doing that and trusting us that much. And, and we also want to say this is MLK Junior Weekend. And uh, this church, one of the kind of heartbeats of this church is that we are a people that see people created equally under God. We, we want to see uh, racial reconciliation in our world. And so we are, uh, we love this weekend. We want to call that out. It's a big deal to us here. So, um, well, welcome. So we, we want to get going on uh, this series again called uh, On Purpose. And I, some of what I'm going to talk about is going to really tie in with what you saw in the video here and how how we want to live out in the world. But first, I want to tell you a little story about how our family rolls. Uh, my wife and I, we got two kids. Uh, one of them is a sophomore at Fairview, go Knights, and one of them is an eighth grader at Southern Hills. And I love them. There's one thing, though, that they wish they could change about themselves. They're very fair-skinned, kind of, you know, for the most They're not like, they don't get gorgeously tan like I do. So it's, uh, you know, a thing for them. I wish, man, especially when they were little kids, I wish I could just like fill a bathtub with, with uh, sunscreen and just take them and, you know, dip them in, pull them out. They'd be all white and everything. But we, we're just, how, how do we not get them cancer is kind of our rallying cry. And so we love to go on trips. In the summertime, uh, our favorite place to go, it's kind of been our go-to place as a family, is Glacier National Park. Anybody been to Glacier here? Okay. You know how awesome Glacier. Glacier's so cool. So we, when we go up, we've had great weeks. Sun's shining. It's out. The, if you haven't been to Glacier, you've got to go up there and check it out. It's just beautiful. And part of the trick, though, is how do we not get them sunburned? And so when Micah was little, Micah's my younger one, we, this is the hat that we would put on him. So this, this hat was the key thing. We're just like, man, we're going to keep that sun off his face. So we'd put it on him. And, but there's a design flaw with this hat. We'd put it on him, and we would start to notice that when you put the hat on him, there's a little flap on the hat that would come down over his eyes. And so we, we noticed like a few days into the trip that Micah was walking around Glacier like this, like with his head back. And he said, I'm like, dude, you're like in the most beautiful place in the world and you're missing it because there's a flap in your eyes. Like, come on, you know. So we'd take it off him and we'd fix it. And, you know, sure enough, we put it back on him and it wouldn't take more than like a couple hours before Mike is wandering around Glacier, view obstructed, head back, trying to take it in. And Karen and I just started laughing like, it's kind of like life. You know, there's so many beautiful things in life, so many amazing things in life. And sometimes the view gets really obstructed by something else that gets in our way. And I, you know, let's just talk about our faith for a second, how we see God, how we see Jesus. There are so many things that can get in the way and obstruct that view so that we don't see Jesus clearly. That happens, that happens to us. In fact, there's a study that came out this week. I want to show you guys. It was um, a study by a group called Lifeway. And I saw it in USA Today. It was all over different news uh, networks. Here's the, here's the article right here. It said, young adults 
are dropping out of church in large numbers, and this is why. And so it was talking about how uh, people in their 20s, about 66%, two-thirds of young adults in their 20s are saying, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. I'm walking away. I'm out. And hey, it's down from 70. So we're going to have a big party after church today. It's, you know, it's down 4%. Is that just break your heart, anybody else? What in the world's happening? Well, you, you start reading this article and they give you four major reasons why they're walking away from the church. And so I'm going to play a little game with you. I want to give you the four reasons. We're going to run through reasons, uh, but I'm going to add a fifth. And I'm going to add something that was actually not in the article. And so your job here is to pick out which one you think is the one I added and not actually what young adults are reporting and why they're leaving the church. You ready? Okay, a little game. Here we go. Reasons why people are leaving their faith. Reason number one, the article said, was this. Problems with a pastor or people at the church. I start going. You know, I knew people. Pastor did something that wasn't good. Or somebody did something. Somebody made me mad. And I just forget that thing. That, that's reason number one. You think that's a real one? Reason number two. The belief was forced on me at a young age. Right? This wasn't actually my thing. It was my parents' thing, and they made me do it. And the pastor actually didn't allow me to struggle with doubt and real questions, and neither did my parents. And so when I got in my 20s and I got out away from them, I just, pfft, no, that stuff's all not true, okay? Reason number two. Think that one's real? Number three, I disagree with social or political views of the church. I hear them talking about love, but I see them acting in some ways totally different. And so I, I, I don't know that I want to be a part of that anymore. And so they, they say, well, this church is actually associated with one political party or the other, and I, that's just not me, and so I'm leaving the church. And that's, that's one reason people give, okay? Is that yours? Number four, I just never connected. I tried, I went in, I tried to meet people, I tried to meet people my age, but it just never worked, and so I felt disconnected, and so, gosh, you know, why do I need that? I can go meet people at a bar easier, so... They walk away from the church in their 20s because I just actually don't have relationships there. All right, you see yours yet? All right, can I give you number five? Here's number five. I just don't really like that Jesus guy. That Jesus guy, man, he just, I don't like him. Said no one ever. The guys, clearly, number five is the ad. The first four Absolutely, right? This, this is the flap over the eye. This, these are the things. These four things are the things that you could see even just this week that people are reporting, this is why I'm walking away from church and the faith. It's over problems with pastors, belief was forced on me, it's too political, or I just never connected with people. What's so interesting is no, I've been in ministry 22 years. I've never heard anybody say that last one. What's so crazy about it is Jesus actually made some pretty divisive big statements. Like, oh, I'm God. Like if somebody came out now and said that, right, we'd, woo. This is part of what Jesus is saying. He's making audacious claims, but you actually don't hear people saying, I don't like Jesus. What you're hearing is there's other things that are getting, the flaps getting in people's eyes and they are walking away from their faith. Here's a question for you. Man, this one will just, I pray this will burn you. 
what if we were the kind of people, what if we were the kind of church that could take the flap out of people's eyes and we could actually live a life and be a church that helps people see Jesus clearly. And if they reject Jesus, they reject Jesus. They don't reject other stuff that has got in their eyes. Man, I tell you, when uh, Karen and I left, we were out in California working at a church, great church, big church, 5,000 people, multiple campuses. I got to admit, I had a great setup. It's warm there all the time, okay? We had a pool in our backyard, and the beach was 30 minutes away. And what Bill and I start talking about this concept, we didn't have a name for it yet, but we started saying, what if, what if we were a church that could take stuff out of people's eyes and let them see Jesus clearly? And at some point, Karen and I said, okay, we're in. And we took a 40% pay cut, and we moved out here, and we started a church. Actually, it was 42, but who's counting? And we moved out here, and we said, we're going to go for it, but we're, we're praying to God that God will help create a community of people that want to help other people see Jesus clearly without all the crap that gets in the way. That was our prayer. Man, today I want to talk about that because one of these words hanging outside this, this hallway here that matters for this, and I, I hope, I think we, God's going to use this church. God is going to use this church, I think, to change the dial on this. And so I want us to talk about how do we get there. Okay, here's what I'm going to do first. I'm going to dive into a story around uh, Jesus and what he was doing. And I'm going to tell some of the story first, and then we'll read uh, some of it later. But it's from Mark chapter 10. And here's how it was going. Jesus was walking along with his followers, right? The word we use, disciples. Disciples, a fancy word, just means his followers, So the disciples were walking with Jesus, and Jesus had been doing his thing. He had crowds following him, but now the story is starting to turn. He's actually starting to move toward Jerusalem. And you can start to feel in the story, there's like this kind of ooh thing that's coming down on it now, where he's headed to Jerusalem, you get the sense that uh, something's going to happen. Uh, Something bad even is going to happen. Jesus is walking toward the place where they are going to take him and kill him. The disciples don't get this. The disciples think that Jesus is going to walk in there, pull out some magic sword and wipe everybody out and set up some new kingdom. That's what they think. And so they're walking along the road and two of his disciples ask him a hilarious question. And and I love this because Jesus didn't just have like one age of people that were his followers. He had lots of ages. And in fact, these two guys were brothers, James and John. And James and John, we actually think we're teenagers. And so they're they're here in Jesus' band, and so they're walking. Imagine this. They're walking their way to Jerusalem, and James and John say this. They say to him, hey, uh, Jesus, uh, when you set up your kingdom, how about you put me on the right-hand side of you, and you put John on the left-hand side of you, and we rule with you. Right? Imagine a king sitting at his table. The people that sit right next to the king are really important. This is what James and John ask for. Hey, can we do this? Jesus is beautiful. Jesus doesn't shame him, scold him, whatever. Jesus says to him, I don't think you know what you're asking for. <laughs> they go, oh yeah, we do. We do. And Jesus says, well, are you ready? It basically says to him, are you ready to suffer? Jesus knows that he's not going to set up some big earthly kingdom. Jesus is going to give his life away on behalf of us. So are you guys ready to suffer? 
You know what they say? Yeah, we can. Yeah, we're in. Now, what's so great is the other disciples hear this, and they get all mad. Right? They're angry with James and John. How do you ask that? And I was reading it this week, and I was kind of thinking, like, yeah, like, how can, how can you be so naive, James and John? What are you guys thinking? And then I realized as I'm reading it, I wasn't actually reading a book or a story. You know what I realized? I was actually looking into a mirror. Oh, my gosh. That is exactly what I do. The disciples, these guys, James and John, they're, they're, they're approaching life through the context and the lens of thinking, I am the end. This is about me. At the end of the day, I am after my happiness, my success, my, my, my. And so we read that story and we think kind of in context, oh, these crazy guys. And then if you actually think about it a little bit, you go, oh, wait, that's me. I don't think the rest of the disciples were mad at them because they had it wrong. You know why I think the rest of the disciples were mad? Because they beat them to it. They're like, wait, no, we want the right and the left side. No, 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 no. Not, no you little young guys, we're, we're the ones who are older, wiser. Jesus, you ought to take us and put us in those spots. Because it's so ingrained in us to be born into this world thinking that we are the end. When you read stuff like this in the scripture about disciples like this and that they're doing something silly, just realize you're looking at a mirror. Don't stand in judgment and go, oh, yeah, that's me. Now look at the brilliance of Jesus. Guys, this is a, what you're about to see Jesus do is a, just a paradigm shifter for life. Because what the disciples are reflecting is how human beings are and what Jesus is about to do is to flip it on its head. Watch his words. Look what he says in John uh, chapter 10. This is verse 42. It says, Jesus called them together. You know, in other words, like, hey, all right, stop fighting. Come on over here. Let's, let's go. Sit down. We're going to talk. Jesus called them together and said, you guys know the rulers in this world lord it over their people. They make sure they know who's in charge. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Man, they just love it. They love to make sure they know that everybody knows who has power. But look what he says. But among you, it will be different. He doesn't say it might be different. It could be different. It may be different. He says it's going to be different. This is going to be a different group. In fact, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. I want you to stop for a second and think of the word leader and think what comes to your mind. And now reread that little passage there. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, you want to be first in line? You want to be the best? You want to be this? If you want to be first, you must be the slave of everyone else. Now, do not read that word slave through our lens of being an American. What that word would have meant is someone who is willing to set aside their own desires, what they want out of their life, to set it aside for something or someone else. That's what that word means. Jesus saying, you want to be first? You must be the slave of others. And then he says this great, this is kind of the famous one that Jesus says, he says in verse 45, for even, even the Son of Man, this is a phrase that Jesus used for himself, We're, you know, we can get into that another day, even the Son of Man, even God on earth, even me, I'm here, right? 
from heaven to earth, here I come, God in the flesh, even me, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom. For many, that word ransom means a a payment that is made to release someone you love from captivity. And that's what Jesus did. He walked to Jerusalem and he gave his life away as a ransom for many. What's so crazy is that Jesus, the God of the universe, doesn't see himself as the end. We do. But Jesus sees himself as a means to an end. Thinking about it this way this week, if you think about God, this is just embarrassing to do this, but I'm just going to, let's pretend this beautiful star is God. Forgive me. Uh, it, it, it should be bigger than this flip chart. Okay? It, there's not enough flip charts in the world to capture the power, uh, the ability if he wanted to, to dominate and control. Uh, there's no way that we can even grasp for a second how great and big God is. God's just beyond our comprehension huge. That's God. That's, that's unlimited power right there. What Jesus is saying is for even, even me, even this, even, even as big as I am, even I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life away for something else. Jesus, as big as he is, he, he sees the world through the lens of a bottom-up frame. I'm here to serve. I'm here to love. I'm here to give my life away. What's so crazy to me to think is, on this scale, how big are we? Okay, this is actually too big, what I'm about to do. Can you see that? We're a pinprick. We, we're nothing. We're so limited, we, have, we can't control anything. Man, and yet we come into this world from day one with what idea in our minds? Top down. That we come, at least if you're anything like me, we come thinking we are the end. And here's the God of the universe who's bigger than anything you can imagine who enters this world saying, I'm a means to an end. By the way, this to me is fascinating. Whether you are a Christian or not, Maybe you're just here, you kind of, somebody brought you, you're checking out this whole church thing. What, what's so interesting to me is to think for a second, like if you've ever read, there's a book by, a classic business book by Jim Collins called Good to Great. And he defines what great leaders are, what they're all about. And he has levels of leaders and his level five leader, this is the greatest leader. You know how he defines a level five leader? A level five leader is someone who is willing to give away what they want, give away their own glory for the good of something else. To him, that's the greatest kind of leader you can find. And the other leaders who are all lesser are all thinking this way. But he says the best kind of leader, the level five leader, thinks this way. Amazing. 2,000 years later, our best thinking in business is something Jesus was practicing 2,000 years ago. Jesus says, no, this is, this is the way to live. Even if you're a Christian or not, I'd listen to this guy. I'd listen to Jesus on this one. Maybe we want to flip this. Maybe we want to look at our lives and say, 
it's not about me. It's not the end. I'm going to live into what Jesus calls me to do because actually this passage that we're reading isn't just nice tip. Okay? This isn't just a maybe self-help idea. What Jesus is doing is inviting you. Jesus is he's calling you. He's asking you to consider flipping your life upside down. He's asking you to think about changing your paradigm for your life. Here's the thing. We start life or we start any relationship thinking about me as the end. Man, you enter into a new kind of, you know, romance type thing. You're thinking about what's in this for me. You're entering into a new friendship circle. You're thinking about how's this going to fit me. You join a club. You're thinking about is this going to be a good thing for me. You start a church. You, you know, you go to it and you're thinking like, yeah, is this going to work for me? We enter into a relationship with Jesus initially because we want to know is this going to be good for me? And the more time that you spend around this guy, Jesus, and he gets his hands on you, he, he starts messing with you. And he starts to say, I want to actually flip your life. And it's actually not going to be about you. It's now you are going to be a means to an end. If you want to follow me, you can't live top down. If you want to follow me, you've got to enter into a life of saying, my life is now going to be given away. Just like his life was given away. To be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, that's what he's inviting you to. Jesus is asking, I think, every single one of us today, this key question, will you be a means to an end? Will you decide with your life to be a means to an end or will you keep ourselves an end? Here's the thing, man. You keep yourself an end. Living for this little thing up here is dull. Man, some of us, I know we walk around and we ask the question like, what's my purpose? What am I here for? What am I doing? Even that question sometimes reflects back on what we are about. What, what do I need to be happy? What do I need to feel fulfillment? You know, it, it, even the question asks, it's me. Maybe a better question to ask ourselves is, who am I here for? What am I called here to do? You start asking that question, you start flipping this paradigm. And if, if we live as, uh, as the end, we're not going to have purpose. This is real easy to remember. If we live as the means, you live as a means, you will have meaning. And you see it every time you go to a memorial service. Think about going to a memorial service where somebody has lived as the end, and those, you know, we try to say nice things and we leave. And you go to a memorial service where somebody has given their life away as a means to an end, you can stay there all day telling stories, celebrating, singing, man. I sometimes think about that. Maybe it's a morbid question. What's, what's mine going to look like? Will people recognize that I pray that I was a means to an end and I didn't see my life as the end? Guys, I, I, it's a daily decision. In fact, Jesus says to himself, take up your cross daily. The ultimate symbol of being a means to an end is the cross. Take up your cross daily, not it's not a one-time decision. It's every day we pick up that cross and we go, am I going to be a means to an end or am I going to be the end? Here's why it matters. Outside that curtain, one of the things that's hanging on that wall says the word generous. And let me tie some things together for you here. If we are people that see ourselves as a means to an end, not the end, we cannot help but be generous. 
we will not be able to help ourselves when we are a means to an end to share with people our time, to love people, to spend extra time even when it doesn't suit us. We will be people that give our resources away because it's not about ultimately what I want, it's about a means to an end. We'll be generous with our relationships. We'll be inviters. We'll be the kind of people that always don't have closed groups. We'll invite people in because we're a means to something greater than ourselves. We'll think about, you know, situations that come up. Yesterday I was at the airport and I was thinking about this talk and I just was sitting there going, God, make me a means to end. I know I'm trying to get the best seat on Southwest and I'm trying to get ahead of the people and I'm trying to cut my way in line and what number are you? Oh, I'm A1, you know, and um, no. Can I be a means to an end in my everyday existence? If I am, I'm going to be generous to other people. I'm going to be willing to give my life away. I'm willing to be put aside the things that are most important to me or the things I think I want that are, I think are going to make me happy. I'm going to be willing to set those things aside for someone or something else. Here's the key, and here's where it ties back to what we talked about at the top. When you're generous... When we are generous as a people, when we are generous as uh, individuals, generosity always helps people see Jesus clearly. Almost 100% of the time. If we as a church want to be the kind of people that help take the flap out of the eyes, help remove the things that are clouding people's image of God, we got to see ourselves as a means to an end, and then we go with generosity, it destroys those things, those preconceived notions that people have. It blasts them away. I got to tell you a couple quick stories on that. One is just a group in our church, the group of women who meet on Thursday morning, women's Bible study, and they get together and they open their Bibles, they read together, they pray together. But I actually, I, there's something about, um, gosh, you're going to think less of me. I, I have... Uh, something against the idea of some Bible studies I've been around in my life. Some Bible studies I have seen in my life end up being about trivial knowledge, how much do we know, there gets to be an arrogance about it, and there's almost this feeling to them of like, are you just about memorizing the Bible or do you actually care about other people? Man, I could hurl thinking about that. And that stuff goes on, I've seen it so many times. That is not what these women do. These women actually get together, they read the scripture, they pray, but you know what? They're generous. They take care of each other, but you know what's even better than that? They take care of people that aren't there. They go beyond their group. They care about people in the community. Guys, every time they do that, they are breaking away the barriers that people have, the preconceived notions that they have about the church, and maybe they're going to be able to see Jesus clearly now. Uh, my old church out in California, I was part of a small group. And we were committed to not just being a group of people that read the Bible together, that kind of thing. We, we actually wanted to make a difference. And one time, this was not my idea, so I can't claim credit. I was talking to a neighbor near us, and the neighbor said, hey, God, yeah, we know we're having a baby here next month. And uh, wow, that's great. Anything we can do to help you? No, we're good. And I went back to the group and I said, yeah, my, one of my neighbors is going to have a baby soon. And somebody in the group said, we should start bringing him food. What if our group brought him food every night? You know what's interesting? Somebody else in the group said, 
do they go to the church? And as if like, maybe we shouldn't do that because they don't go to the, the church. And somebody else said, no, but who cares? Of course we do that, right? So sure enough, this person started a meal train together and they started drawing in other people. And before you know it, for 30 straight days, they had their baby and for 30 straight days, people brought them a meal. I swear they had to buy a new refrigerator for their garage because there was like food everywhere. And people are showing up and they're being kind to these people and they're like, you know, just this great relationships being made. After 30 days, look what happened. This is so crazy. I'm sitting out in front in the yard. I'm doing whatever in the yard. And um, the, the woman who had the baby is walking her baby. What are those little strollers? She's walking uh, the stroll. It's been a while. <laughs> My kids are big. <laughs> My kid's 6'2". Um, walking, walking her baby along the street out there. And she sees me and she says, hey, Jim, come here. Run across the street. She says to me, what's the deal with your church? Like, what do you mean? She goes, you guys just brought us, I can't believe what you guys just did. You guys brought us food for 30 days. I'm like, oh, I hope that was okay. You have too much, you know, I'm like, Ooh. She goes, um, can I tell you something? She goes, I, I went to, when I was a kid, I went to the best experience I ever had with the church was I went to this thing called Young Life a couple times. It's a ministry reaches out to middle and high school kids. Went to this thing called Young Life a couple times. It was, it was cool. But then I had something happen, and I have not been to church really since. And my husband, oh, my gosh, he wants nothing to do with it. I was like, oh, okay. Like, did he have something bad happen? Yeah, we won't even go there. But just suffice to say, we don't want anything, you know, he doesn't want anything to do with it. But then she looked at me, and she goes, if I wanted to come check out your church, how would I do it? And then she says to me, no kidding, if I wanted to get my baby baptized, how would I go about that? Incredible. Guys, whether you're in a group or you as an individual, if you see yourself as not existing just for yourself but for somebody else and so you're generous, generosity will destroy the things that get in people's way of seeing Jesus. Man, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you personally today? You think about the relationships that you're in. Think about your marriage. Do you approach your marriage as you're the end or the means to an end? You think about your uh, friendships. And, you know, you enter into a group and is a part of friends that you're a part of? Are you thinking... I'm part of this group really because of what I get out of it. It makes me feel good. Or what if, what if you did a paradigm shift and joined Jesus' side on this and said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a means to an end to see these people thrive. What if in your work, what if instead of approaching your work, instead of thinking, what am I, how am I doing, me, 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 what if you looked at it and said, how can I make my team thrive? You've seen yourself as a means to an end, not the end. What's the area in your life today that God is saying you are the end? And I want to make that and I want to change that into you seeing your life as a means to an end. I promise you, if you pray that prayer, you'll find out fast. God will talk to you pretty quick about where it is that you are the end, not the means to the end. I, I did that this week. Dang it, I hated that I did that because... 
I, I'm like, God, where am I on this? And what God, I feel like, made very clear to me is I like to win. And so when I get into a conflict with someone, I love to argue and I love to win. And I don't approach those things from the side of am I a means to an end or I'm usually the end. I can be a competitive jerk. My poor wife. We have a... Um, we have a little funny thing that we do in my family where the boys say to me, Dad, you're so competitive. And my response is to them, I'm not competitive. You guys are way more competitive than me, right? And then we laugh in ironic laughter. So. But God's saying to me, what if you approach, what if, what if you right now, as you think about your life, you think about the sticky situation that you're in, whatever it is, are you approaching it as the end or the means to an end? I think that what God's calling us to is what you see in this passage. What does that mean for our church? Is our church the end? Or are we just a means to an end? Are we a means to an end to bless the people who aren't here? I think when you read, that's exactly what we're called to. I want to say to some of you guys, honestly, especially... Um, I think we have the coolest older people in the world. What, what older people come to a church in a warehouse with curtains and love it? And I know some of you probably wish some things were different. Maybe you wish you were walking into beautiful stained glass and, you know. Part of the reason why we don't do that, though, well, it would be weird in here. But, but another reason we don't do that is because we share our space with people out there. We want the school district here. We want the city in here. We know that if we churchify ourselves, we're going to put a barrier up in front of people's eyes. We want them to come in. We want to be a means to an end. We want to be generous with that so that people might have a chance to see Jesus clearly with no filter in front of them. Man, if that's your dream, that's our church. That's what we're going for here. What if, what if every person, I mean, who knows? We've got 100 years. I, I don't know how long this church will be around. Hopefully long after we're all gone. What if this church could have every single person up and down this front range if God would use us somehow in some little way to let people see Jesus clearly with no filter. Amazing. That's the call Jesus is calling us to. That is why that little word generous is hanging outside that curtain. Because I hope as you think about your involvement in this church, maybe it started as an end, like, hey, is this a good place for me? I hope you'll flip it. I hope at some point you will flip it and see it as a means to an end. And so for those of you that are working down in children's, for those of you who hand out cups of coffee, for those of you who greet people at the door, for those of you who go to Cuba, for those of you who give toys at to the toy shop, for those of you that are involved in some way, man, your generosity is helping people see Jesus clearly. We get to hear the stories all the time. I hope even as you leave, we'll have little cards. If you want to jump in in some capacity, grab one of those. Hope you'll say, I'm going to do this. Go to the next steps area and say, I, I don't want to see this church as the end. I want to see it as a means to an end and get involved, man. Some of you have sat on the sidelines for a long time. We need you. We, we believe in you. Man, I pray that maybe you will, you will follow what Jesus is saying here and hop in the game. Okay? Lord, we ask for that. We pray that 
uh, that we would be people that are following what Jesus is calling us to do here. Uh, I know a lot of us maybe have wounds that will be hard to get by. That maybe was even on that list. And Lord, we pray that we could, we could see you clearly. I know I don't see you clearly. Every day it's a struggle to make sure that I seek after you and try to find you. And so God, I pray for this church. I pray for this family of people. We're, we're humble people who are praying that somehow you could convince us to give our lives away the way that you did too. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I hope you'll sing out uh, these last two songs.